in Britain in particular, they are still to this day extremely snobbish about video games, I find. It's also a very archetypal story about mm. rebirth during the lowest moment that you can have. There's almost yes. nothing more powerful. Whenever I start up a new game, I'm just so excited. You know? <laughs> yeah. What will the world look like? Who will I meet? What will <laughs> I need to do? A bit of anxiety. There's a whole history around how you should be playing those games. And I think, goodness me, you know what? <laughs> I start where I jolly well like and, and what I feel like, you know. <laughs> I have never in my life come across a person quite so literal-minded as that. <laughs> you want to see life in all its glory, start a YouTube channel and watch what happens <laughs> is all I can say. Hey, welcome to The Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. This is the home of Make Something Mean Something. We are live on Discord because it is TCU night. That is Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Eastern. We are always here for you, for your ears, live with all sorts of people just lurking and hanging out and listening. And also our patrons chatting in the episode chat are... Dumpster Crew, our $2 Tots, our Infantry, our Baby Gang, they're all here, and we're all excited about tonight, or at least I know I am extra excited about this episode. Yeah, Kevin has uh, Kevin has wanted this guest on for a long, long, long time. I remember uh, hearing the name, oh, I bet, I bet a year ago, uh, uh, you know, about a year ago, popped on the list. Uh, but first, uh, thanks as always to... Uh, to Bosch uh, Electro Voice for shooting us some microphones. I think we're both on the RE20 again tonight. Kevin's got it in black. He, he's he's like the the black motif kind of guy. I've got it in putty because I like the earthy, gritty, natural feel. Uh, I think that is superior. But Kevin <laughs> prefers the brand new black model, which came out in in November, and also uh, but, uh, was used in the new. Brand new Vsauce 2 video, which people should it check was, out. Yeah. And I've already gotten some 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 heavy praise about how the Vsauce 2 sounds now because of using this mic. So it's not just being yeah. it's not just improving the podcast, it's improving YouTube as well. That's right. It's it's revolutionized science and math YouTube worldwide. It's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh yeah. We got a guest and long-term listeners of the create unknown know that critical elements of the creative process, things we've talked about over and over include iteration, flexibility, and switching gears when it's time. That process is baked right into the name of our guest. Food for Dogs sounds like a dog food company because it actually was. When Britta first ventured into social media professionally, it was to promote her healthy pet food business. But uh, her 75,000 plus subscribers now uh, they know her as being uh, as hardcore a gamer and video collector as they come. 
she's in New Zealand, and that's actually our third guest uh, from the island after the legendary Dolan Dark and Minnie Kudos. Uh, and she's generated a fan base absolutely fascinated by her infectious passion for mostly Japanese video games, uh, with a focus on the PlayStation Vita. Even her Twitter bio lists her as retired on Vita Island. Britta has also joined forces with other retired gamer gals to form the Grand Dames, a super squad composed of Britta, Jessa, Mary, and Shirley, who get together for live stream tea parties and gaming chat. So, Britta, you're the first gaming dame to enter the Create Unknown. Is this is this whole internet personality thing strange to you, or at this point, are you comfortable with how it's all played out? I think I'm reasonably comfortable now, but um, it's a matter of constantly adjusting the boundaries, I think, and making sure that you protect your own privacy um, while still being available for people when they need you. Uh, and that can be a difficult balancing act. Um, but we, we're all dealing with that on a, on a daily basis. I, I always say, you know, stay open-minded and, and stay flexible. And that's really the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's, that, uh, it's like that saying, be open-minded, but not so much that your brain falls out. You know, there's, there's that <laughs> limit on... <laughs> well, at, at, my, at my age, I suppose that's a real danger. <laughs> I occasionally... <laughs> I occasionally feel like that. You know, you get these senior moments. I was just thinking this morning about how uh, my memory for things that are 50, even 60 years ago is as fresh as a daisy. But ask me what I did last week and I'll probably get pretty hazy. (laughs) So, yeah. um, it's dealing with all those things, and uh, I, I never thought younger people would be interested, uh, but they are, and we discovered that when we started um, the Grand Dames because we we have several segments on our live stream, and one is uh, what we call sort of Grandma's Table, and it's a bit of what some people would call life advice. You know, we talk about our experience, and uh, people seem to find that actually really helpful. Mm-hmm. I also found that uh, diving back into the past, um, I had a bit of a it was just a little nostalgia project for myself, and I called it Tech of My Childhood, and and I did a few videos, and I never thought that, you know, people would find them at all interesting. It must sound very quaint and old-fashioned, uh, but to my surprise, they actually proved really popular. People love those. And they occasionally come back and say, are you doing any more? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's only so much of the past I can unearth. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it was fun and, and people seem to genuinely enjoy it. I think it's good to have that perspective because we take technology so much for granted these days you know the modern technology we have you know some people can't don't even know what life without smartphones was ever like um so (laughs) yes uh you know very young people have grown up with that technology and and they they would find it very odd having to consider 
you know, queuing up behind other family members to use the telephone, the old-fashioned mm -hmm. landline one that sat on the desk and, yeah. you know, like on a shrine. It was a sort of, <laughs> it was a special apparatus, you know, it was <laughs> sanctus, yes. Yeah. Um, the, the, but, the phone is a big... That's, that's a really good marker on how all of this stuff worked. Uh, I was in a, mm -hmm. a discussion about a week ago on this that it, right now you don't have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. Uh, mm -hmm. If you get a text message, uh, number one, you know who it's from. You can respond <coughs> to it when you want. If the phone call, uh, if the phone rings, it's caller ID. You also know who's going to pick up. And uh, this is something that that probably Kevin experienced is the horrible nine seconds, which is the longest nine seconds in a teenage boy's life in the 1990s, which is calling a girl's telephone and mm -hmm. hoping to God that her parents and especially her dad didn't pick up. Because uh, then you've got this <laughs> yeah. awkward moment where you have to ask for the, the daughter. You know, I think that must be universal experience because I've heard the same story back in the nineteen fifties and sixties. They didn't, they didn't feel any different. I can assure you, <laughs> it was the same. You know, the 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 telephone looked different, and uh, yeah. yeah, but the 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 process and the emotional angst was similar. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and yes. we never knew. You know, we didn't know who was calling when we picked up the phone. We didn't know who's going to pick up. Nobody ever knew no. until everybody started talking. And now mm -hmm. I think people who are only used to smartphones, they really don't understand that communication is not always on your terms with full information and knowledge whenever it, mm -hmm. whenever you want it. And it's it's a massive shift. Uh, so yes. that's, yes. you know, it's a little off topic, but it's just such an interesting thing to think about that difference in such a it short is. time. You know, 20 years yes. is, is no yeah. time at all. Now, I remember fighting uh, I, over who, who yeah. would answer the phone. Like nobody wanted to yeah. answer it because yeah. you didn't want to, no, no. to be the secretary, <laughs> like, you know, telling, oh, who is it for? Okay, who do you want? What's about? I'd write it down. Write down the message. Nobody wanted to do that. It was almost <laughs> like a job. So, you know, <laughs> my, my brother yeah. and I fighting over who who's answering yeah. the phone because we just wanted to play Nintendo instead. Uh, well, um, you know, back in the day when, when I was young and the, the telephone was so important for communication that if someone rang totally unexpectedly, like um, Aunt Mindy, who you hadn't heard from in 20 years, uh, you you know, you just could, there was no way you could put down the phone and say, I'm sorry, Mindy, I don't have time right now. That that just didn't work. You know, you had to make time. And if somebody rang and it took an hour or two hours, that's what happened. You right, know, yeah. people people placed huge priority on, on telephone calls. They were like official social visits, really. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. So, yes, I, I certainly can remember very, very long hours waiting for my mum to get off the phone with auntie so-and-so. Mm. Uh, yeah, and yeah, been waiting but, for dial-up internet uh, that's what when there was say. only one phone line. Yeah, yeah. when, yeah, the internet when we were connected. Yeah. yeah, when we were connected, it meant nobody could make a phone call. No phone calls were coming in until they developed no. that, that dual you know, system where mm. the phone could, mm. could ring over. But, but yeah, generally, yeah. you know, I remember my parents screaming at me. That's like, oh, you can't go on the internet before, you know, 10 because somebody might call. 
Oh. Mm. <laughs> <That's> so funny. <laughs> yeah, it was the yes, worst. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Well, the internet is, of course, um, it's a completely different beast altogether that's changed our lives, you know, beyond recognition for an older generation. So I find a lot of people in, in my generation uh, have... Um, have fear of technology. They are not quite sure how to use the internet, so they tend to stay away quite often. Um, so I, I, I was, you know, often called upon to to help with all sorts of issues because I sort of um, I fell into working on and with the internet back in the early nineteen nineties, and it, I've got a sort of bit of a technology background. Uh, I've been a bit of a jack, jack of all trades online. So for me, it feels quite natural. And, and I established my long-term contacts via the internet over, you know, more than two decades now. Uh, but for many people in my age group, that, that's simply not the case. So that we, we do have that digital divide and it runs down generations. And I suppose that might be one reason why people are always surprised to see me uh, both on Twitter and on YouTube um, doing my stuff um, because they don't often see people from my age group. But we are out there and a lot of them are quite shy because of often strange reactions. So I I have had a lot of people turn up on my channel uh, telling me that, saying, oh, this is the first time I've ever mentioned this, but I'm in my 50s or sometimes even in their 60s. And I I played games since the old, you know, computer days in the 1970s when they first came out. And But I dare not talk to my family or my work colleagues about it because I get put down and they don't understand it. And I'm always hugely saddened by that. Um, but it's a I was surprised by the number of people who turned up telling me their stories like that. Mm. So uh, there, there are a lot of people out there. They're often female. That can be one issue, and it can be age-related. Uh, but I've also had very young pe people turning up saying, I get constantly put down for playing games. People always say, that's kids' stuff. You should grow up, you know, do something worthwhile. Uh, yeah, so that whole attitude is still there in spades, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is really sad. I mean, I I, I wanted mm -hmm. to ask. Yeah, I didn't even realize. I didn't even conceive of that being taboo um, yes. as as it relates to an <coughs> age group. Uh, because mm. you know, I have to tell you, when I first found your channel, um, and I found uh, Shirley's. A Twitter account. Mm -hmm. um, Shirley posts uh, Skyrim uh, uh, environmental screenshots basically every day, and it's awesome. I love it. I personally was extremely excited. Like I have to tell mm -hmm. you, I was really, really excited by this um, because uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just felt like like you were kind of an inspiration um, mm -hmm. and sort of uh, a beacon for people, maybe who 
do feel bad or who are getting um, giving a hard time by people putting them down for collecting games or being so interested in the hobby. I mean, just recently, like a month ago, I did some tweet uh, before we started recording. You know, I mentioned to you that I, I, I don't talk about my game collecting very much at all. Um, and recently I did a post where I had bought some, there was some sale on the PlayStation network and I bought some old PS2 RPGs, dark cloud one and two, um, arc, the lad, twilight of the spirits and, uh, and rogue galaxy. And, and somebody replied to me like really meanly about Mm -hmm. essentially how (laughs) it was like, I think the comment was something along the lines of have fun with your mental masturbation. And I was like, mm-hmm. I, I, was, yeah. I just wanted to choke the person and be like, listen, I have like four <laughs> jobs, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of which are incredibly like cognitively demanding. And also mm-hmm. most of which is freely available for anyone in the world to access the, the, the mm-hmm. work that I do. Um, mm-hmm. And if, you know, one twenty seventh of my time I need to decompress by playing a game and having a hobby that I enjoy. And that's a problem for you. I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know what to tell you. Like, I don't know what you want me to do with that, like few hours a week that I'm able to like not be grinding on some sort of intense work project. Yes. Uh, there's a lot I could say about that attitude because I've of course encountered it many times. Um, unfortunately, uh, within all the various gaming communities, there's a lot of gatekeeping. And there are so-called fandoms that get extremely toxic. And they can only apparently relate to other people by lashing out at them for not having exactly the same taste as they do. Mm-hmm. So I always, I have made it perfectly clear on my channel that that's absolute no-go. Anybody like that is um, escorted off the premises. Uh, And, you know, the whole point for me of having a hobby channel is to, to share my love of games. For me, the word hate, which is so often bandied about. I hate this game. I hate the people who love this particular anime character. That is, that simply shouldn't exist. Um, Games are being made by creative people who pour their heart and soul and a lot of work into it for our enjoyment. There is nothing there to hate. I uh, totally, you know, I, I will not accept that word in that connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I find it really um, terrible. And there are, there are people who get sort of rabbit holed into this um, type of environment. Uh, only a couple of days ago, I was reading an article on uh, a website called Noisy Pixel. They do a lot of pretty good um, gaming coverage. And uh, one person was writing an opinion piece about his own journey from 
uh, that kind of toxic environment and how he finally managed to get out of it. Uh, it kept him from playing games which others deemed unworthy. Um, and he finally discovered that those were the games he loved. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's obviously a younger person's journey uh, to get to that stage where he doesn't feel uh, what we used to call in my day the peer pressure. I don't know whether people still use that term, mm -hmm. but peer pressure can be a, a terrible thing and it ends up with uh, bullying and all sorts of stuff. You know, all I can say is keep away from those sort of groups. They will destroy your happiness and enjoyment of what you like doing. Mm -hmm. And I always make it absolutely clear in my videos that when I present a game and talk about it, I talk about whether I liked it or what I liked about it. But I'm always absolutely clear that somebody else out there, many people out there will see it completely differently because that is the whole thing about a creative piece of work. And I see games as an art form that should be rightfully up there with movies and books and opera and everything else. You know, the, okay, now I've lost the thread. What was I talking about? Um, Oh, just essentially, um, like how people don't appreciate, um, yeah. you know, different types of games and are kind of bully yeah. bullying each other over what they like. Yeah, you know? in 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 my experience, everybody reads a novel differently. What mm -hmm. they see exactly, how they experience a character will be slightly different from the next person. And sometimes you will find huge variations. It's absolutely amazing. And the same thing, of course, happens with games, especially because you have uh, you have agency, you have input into what happens. Uh, I'm always reminded of these police procedurals where the detective summons all the witnesses and says, please recount what you saw and they were all there and saw the same thing but the reports each individual one is often very different from the next one mm -hmm. so we all our perception is very individual and i always make that absolutely clear in my videos that whether i like it or not should not in the end influence someone into uh, playing it or saying oh i'm not playing that because britta didn't like it that would be silly you might very well like it you know uh, i can own i can only give my personal response uh, to what i played and in most cases i try to focus on what I enjoyed so I can share it. So that means the positive side of things. Mm -hmm. Occasionally I have to voice criticism, um, but that's all uh, part and parcel of the, the whole process mm -hmm. of playing games, enjoying them. Yep. So uh, I find people come to my channel because they, and stay because that's the attitude and that's the environment they like. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. And apart from that, they come, well, some people come because they say my videos are ASMR. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. And, and that, yes. And I never that was thought a new about one that. For me. I, I, I did. 
I didn't even know what ASMR <laughs> was and until people mentioned it to me. But a lot of people, and they put my videos on in the background for for that purpose. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to I want to jump back to something you talked about uh, a few minutes ago, which is that that mindset that uh, that games are for kids, right? So uh, mm-hmm. something that we've talked about on the podcast a bunch of times, we've referenced. Everybody on the Discord server knows this: that the greatest game in the history of the world is Zork One. Okay, this is <laughs> this is my official ruling that it's the best game ever ever invented. Uh, Kevin talked about it in. Uh, a video a few years ago on the Zorba computer, which was a CPM based machine, you know, an old one from about 1983. Um, but, but this was a big issue back when, when uh, Zork and games just before it started to come out. So this is around 1978, 79. Uh, a couple people are just starting to get computers here and there. Uh, Atari is beginning to do its thing. Um <clears throat> And there was this real difficulty over how to present these things to get people to buy them. Uh, is this is this a family entertainment unit? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, is that what a computer is? Is it something for, uh, you know, dad to put in his home office? Is this a productivity mm-hmm. thing? How do you sell this? And they f- seem to, uh, Infocom seemed to have thought one thing about Zork as a game, which is a, a text-based adventure game mm-hmm. uh, for anybody who doesn't know. Um it's fairly complex, and it's not something that a seven-year-old can sit down and mash mm. the keys on. It's really sophisticated. And they found that uh, you know, doctors and lawyers and people with a little bit of disposable income and very sharp people uh, were the ones playing this game, really interested high school kids too, uh, but it really twisted around that notion of who games are, are really for. And you see, you mentioned that you've been playing since uh, around that period into now. How has this, how, what's the push and pull been like between games being focused on adults and kids? And is there an ebb and flow to all that? Mm. You would have to have a very good knowledge of video game history, I think, to be able to uh, comment on that in a meaningful way and i i'm simply i don't feel an expert on that topic um i i know a bit going back to the days when nintendo became a successful company in america and i would say the targeting of children for video games must have a lot to do with that and I hear a lot of people talking about their uh, gaming past. They they started out with games on the maybe on the Nintendo Entertainment System, but a lot of kids had these Game Boys, and then you know uh, all the various handhelds Nintendo did. Uh, Pokemon would be a good example. Uh, I get the impression that. That's possibly when a large chunk of the population uh, saw video games as being played by children. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I assume we're talking 1990s and then into the 2000s here. And that's what I hear a lot of um, stories from from people I know on Twitter and YouTube telling me about their their gaming history. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's... uh, yeah, 
it's difficult for me to to comment on that because I hadn't seen a video game until um, the well the 2000s probably i didn't know really, really what a video game was because there were no video games when i was a child um well how did you get introduced and, to them in the in the 2000s then uh, uh that is a really that's a really strange story uh i'd seen it once or twice like when we first moved to new zealand so this would be around 1990 i saw some people who were amiga computer enthusiasts and yeah. they proudly showed me their machines and they said oh we're playing a game on that and i said oh yes and it was <laughs> there were a, f a few green pixels were sort of hopping over the screen and i watched that and i after a few minutes i got really really bored and yeah. i came to the conclusion that uh, this is obviously not for me i preferred reading books or watching movies mm -hmm. um so uh, apart from that, I didn't have much exposure. And strangely enough, I never saw children playing on any kind of uh, little console like a Game Boy or anything like that, despite the fact that, uh, you know, my husband and I, you know, we're quite exposed to the education world through his job, and I've been on field trips with kids, and uh, I never ever saw any of them have a device like that or play it. Hmm. So maybe that was the environment we lived in. I don't know. In Britain in particular, they are still to this day extremely snobbish about video games, I find. And I hear that from a lot of my contacts in the UK. Really? Um, Yes, yes, I have to say so. I, we've got even in, in our extended family, um, young children, you know, young people who are now grown up adult telling us that no, we were not allowed to play video games. It was considered lowbrow, wow. was the term. Yes, not highbrow enough. So, <laughs> so I. I had no exposure. There was nothing that propelled me towards video games at all. And it was a very strange coincidence because I, I won a PlayStation 3 in a giveaway competition. Really? Yes. And... <laughs> I the, this huge box arrived one day saying congratulations and I thought oh my goodness I've actually won something you know like most people I thought oh, I never win anything and there was this huge box and I thought what is it and it said PlayStation 3 and I thought what the heck is that that's completely useless and you know what I did I shoved, we had a spare bedroom. Do you have one of those where you shove stuff you you want to <laughs> yes. get out of sight, yes. don't know where else to store? Which I shoved it <laughs> under the bed there. And it must have lain there for probably two or three years. And it was only some complete turnaround in our personal circumstances when Poodle Pound and I uh, went through a a personally very um, distressing phase in our life, uh, 
trauma caused by loss and grief, uh, that I one day, I thought, what the heck do I do? What do I do? I thought, clear up, clear up stuff. And I went into that spare bedroom and hauled out the stuff from under the bed. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what's that? Ah, that useless box. What do I do with it? And I tried to sell it. It was a new unit. And I tried my darndest to sell the thing. And you know what? I failed again and again. Just weird stuff happened. Online trading was only just in the beginning phase in New Zealand. You know, I walked into a cash and carry and said, please, I want to sell this. And they looked at me, a 60-year-old lady with glasses dangling, you know, from from her (laughs) ropes. And, And they squinted at me and they said, can you prove that this is not stolen goods? What? <laughs> they thought it, it, that you were a thief? Yes. What? And, and of course, the That's thing ridiculous. was, I, had, I hadn't even thought about that. I didn't have an invoice. I said I won it in a competition, and they laughed. I what? had to go home again with my box. I, I, I tell you, it, it was just, uh, it was extraordinary. I simply couldn't sell it. So one day I thought, well, I might, I might as well open it up. I had heard that the PlayStation Three was a Blu-ray player, mm-hmm. and back in the days when Blu-ray players were new, that was a big thing. I believe yeah. the Sony was one of the first in the market with yeah. that. And uh, as it happened, we had just bought a new um, Blu-ray player, and I thought it's a really good one. How about I do a little test because I'm kind of no nerdy, techie, geeky, and I just love fiddling around with equipment. You know, the more cables, the better, as far as I'm concerned. And so I cabled it all up and I, tried, you know, tested some Blu-rays and I was actually really impressed with the PlayStation 3. And then my husband came home and said, oh, that's interesting. What else can you do with that thing? And I said, I think it plays games. And he said, there is a video store downtown and they have some video games for rental. So I said, well, I've no idea, but we might as well try. It's something to do to occupy our minds, you know, while we were trying to come to term with terms with things. Uh, so we went down and I said to the lady in the store, um, I've never played a video game, but I've got this machine. Can you maybe uh, rent us out a couple of games that would be suitable for absolute beginners and to her credit she didn't bat an eyelid and uh, sent me home with two games which were not terribly suitable for me I don't think but I, I sort of learned how to put it in the machine and get it going and and use a controller for the first time you know that was quite an experience and yeah, it just went from there. I, I returned the two games and it could have easily finished there the story, but it so happened that I saw they had on the shelf a video game for an animated movie we had just watched. Uh, I think it came out in 2012. It's called Brave. Mm-hmm. Um it was published by Sony, and and we loved that movie. I we you know we bought the disc, and and I looked at that, and it looked so enticing, and I thought, well, I might really enjoy that because I know the story and I love the character, and I took that game home, and 
I it it went a lot better. I, I made very slow progress, but I could see. And I thought, well, if I work really hard on this, I might actually be able to do this, you know. And that was a fascinating idea. It was a new project. It was just what I needed at that time. So um, I recently uh, purchased a copy of that game, Brave, that PlayStation 3 game, uh, for nostalgic reasons. And I popped and I popped it into my PlayStation <laughs> and I played through that initial first part of the prologue or whatever it is. And, you know, I remembered almost every scene. It must have just huh. imprinted on my brain. And I went through it like this initial section in five minutes. Well, when I had played it first back in 2013, it took me an hour to get through that phase. And now I can do it just like that in five minutes. So I realized what a what a journey I must have taken to come to this point. So that was quite nice, really. It, so that's really the story of how I got into it. That story is like a movie. Uh, it literally... Yeah. Like, the whole thing is a movie. It's yeah. crazy. It, it, <laughs> it is. It's, it's like a it's beautiful... True. It's like a beautiful piece of literature, the whole thing. It's unreal that, um, that, is, that, I, that that's what yeah. happened. If I read it, I, I think, oh, they're really playing this up because there's no way yeah. it happened yeah. that way. This isn't reality. Mm. Uh, yeah. So yeah. actually hearing it and knowing it's true is flat out incredible. Yep. It yeah. is. And I, <laughs> it's I the hero's to, journey uh, in real life. It is the hero's journey. Yeah, you're, you're Frodo. Right down to the rejection. <laughs> right down to the rejection of it at the beginning. Like yeah. it, is, yeah. it is absolutely, uh, what is it, Joseph Campbell? Did he do Joseph that? Joseph Campbell, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just yeah, 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 like it is scripted by Joseph Campbell. It's that classic and, and <laughs> yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, that's how it all happened. And I have to add, this is actually the very first time I've ever told that story in public. Wow. Um, oh, wow. Yes, uh, people have asked me again and again, and because I I hadn't really been able to talk about it before because it was bound up with a with a very sad, depressing period in our life, and mm. the, the the you know you know how memories work they yeah. infuse every yeah, they infuse everything, and it, it's just taken me a long time to be able to just sit back and look at it and say. This happened to me. This is a story, you know. So yeah. 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 Well, look. First of all, I'm really grateful and thank you for sharing that story, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. because yeah, it does sound like um, it it brings up emotions be- due, <laughs> due to the, the the time that yeah. it's interconnected with. But at the same time, I think a lot of people would would love to to hear that story and also to be mm-hmm. inspired by it because. Yes, like yeah. Matt saying, in terms of it being the hero's journey, it, it's also just a very like archetypal story about mm. discovery and rebirth during kind yes. of like the lowest moment that you can have. And there's almost yes. nothing more powerful than mm. those types of stories. Literally, like I'm not mm. trying to be dramatic. Like I genuinely no. mean that. Yes, yes. Uh, no, I I do realize that it's um, and when we talk about hero's journey, um, it reminds me of something else, and that is so important about video games because most video games themselves, the story in them, is about 
a period of transition. One character starts out, I always say they go through a rite of passage. They have to learn things, come to to terms with themselves and the world, and they end up usually, if they're lucky, defeating uh, the the great evil uh, or just making the world a better place or just finding their own place in the world, uh, as, for example, the Atelier games do so well. And those are games I I love, hold them very dear. Um, And video games can recreate that that sense of going on the big journey of life, so to speak, uh, that we usually start out as teenagers in those very formative years. Uh, and, And for me, there is almost no better way. You can do it by reading a book or watching a movie, but those are inherently more passive forms of media whereas the the video game demands your complete attention and your personal input and that's what makes them so powerful i think mm-hmm. and and i guess that's what appealed to me yeah mm-hmm. i whenever i start up a new game it's the beginning of a new journey and i'm just so excited you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, the participation and you know what will the world look like who will i meet you know what will i need to do a bit of anxiety can i do it you know all those things swirling around my brain and that's why i always say video games for me are pure magic Mm -hmm. they just they have a magic and they weave that the best video games have that pure magic and and that's what i I guess I crave it now. Once mm-hmm. you've had that experience, you know, you want it again. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned the Atelier games because that's how I found your channel. I was looking <laughs> I was looking into those uh for my wife because I thought that mm. she would like them, but I didn't know yes. anything about them. And uh, spoiler alert for anybody who doesn't know about the Atelier games, there are a gabillion of them. There are, <laughs> there are like 23 or something of these games. And uh, mm. they're all pretty similar in terms mm. of like judging a book by its cover. Like on a surface level, yes. you're like, this is all the same thing. I don't know where to start. And you did a video that was literally dedicated to, hey, here's where you should start with these Atelier games. And I watched the whole thing and I got the games. My wife has played them. She loves them. That's her favorite Mm. series now too. And I made a new friend out of it. Who's you. And uh, it was just kind of like a happy, a happy story (laughs) all around of my own hero's journey, I guess of um, just, Mm. just because of that video that you made about those games that, that, that are your favorite. Yeah. It's, um, it's it's a very popular video on my uh, channel. I had once again, I had no idea. I did the video because uh, for the umpteenth time, someone came to me either on Twitter or on my channel saying, "Where do I start? I'm so conflicted. I'm so worried." You know, and I thought, goodness me! And every time I have to explain, you know, what I would recommend, and it you know, takes a lot of typing or whatever. And I thought, gosh, I should just make a video and then I can just point people to it. That'll be easier. And that's why I made that video. And it certainly served its purpose. And But the other thing about 
that video is that I, uh, well, I guess that's how I approach things. I try not to get too worried. If someone tells me, oh, there's this important series of video games you must play, but you must be very careful that you start in the right spot and you don't skip ahead and then there's, no, don't go in chronological sequence. and, And there's a whole history around how you should be playing those games. And I think, goodness me, it's a game. You know what? <laughs> I, I start where I jolly well like and, and what I feel like, you know. It, nobody's telling me where to start or where to end, you know. I'm mm-hmm. far too old for that. That's the great thing. Nobody can tell me what to do. So <laughs> I try to get that across and to give younger people a bit of confidence that just look at the game at the description, what it's about, the characters, which one appeals straight out of the box. That's probably the right one to start with, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't don't be anxious or don't – there's always some people out there who are the great experts in the sky who will tell you exactly which is the right one to start with or when to play it. Um <laughs> I, I never do that. You know, that's just silly. You know, mm-hmm. please, please play what you want to play. And I simply gave a bit of information so that people can make an informed choice, just so that they know, you know, I've talked about the time management thing in Italia games. And that's a big thing in the West, because in the West, a lot of people don't don't like that or don't do well with it. They, mm-hmm. they get anxiety over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was important to point out. Um, but apart from that, yes, um, I, there's a, yes, I, I'm reminded I recently uh, started a series called, of games called Siberia. There's three of them. Mm-hmm. Siberia 1 is a very old one. I think a PS1 game. Then there mm-hmm. was Siberia 2. Siberia spelled with a Y. It's about it's a point-and-click adventure game about a journalist called Kate Walker who goes off and has to investigate something, and there's you know lots of adventure along the way. I like that sort of thing. Um, especially feisty women investigating stuff appeals to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I can see that. And they had uh, at the um, the older game. I had the old PS One game, and I tried playing it, but the controls are incredibly clunky, mm. and I found that just too tedious. I mm. uh, I'm not always the most patient person, so I thought, oh, sad. Sadly, no. But uh, then I found they'd been ported to other platforms, and I initially got Siberia 3 because it was on sale on PSN and I cannot resist a bargain. <laughs> and that looked that looked more sort of modern with appealing graphics and a friend of mine played it and said she enjoyed it. So I thought, great, I'll just play that. So I, I played Siberia 3 and then I saw they had Siberia 2 for sale on the Switch for a couple of bucks. So I thought, well, I'd give that a go as well. So I started playing Siberia 2, and then I thought, oh, I might get one as well. So I've played <laughs> exactly in reverse sequence. Right, you went backwards. Uh, but I went backwards, and now I'm playing them through that way, starting at the back and unraveling again. And you know what? It's a lot of fun. 
yes, it's yeah. completely. And I don't have any problem with that. So if I don't, you know, why should anybody else? It's none of their yeah, business. Yeah, you could just basically. consider them prequels at this point. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, all yeah. right, I know what happens <laughs> there. These and, are the prequels. Yeah, so I, I got sort of strange intimations in Siberia 3 and Siberia 2 about what probably happened in the past before she came to the worlds in right. two and three. And I sort of, in, in my mind, I was sort of trying to work it all out. Ah, oh, so that's what might have happened before. And and that's fun in itself, a bit of detective work. So, mm -hmm. you know, as long as there's a story and a character you can follow, you can play a game. You don't have to know the, ti the last tiny detail, you know, obsessing over just one point in a game. It's just not my thing. I'm just not a nitpicker by nature. Mm -hmm. I just go in there and play it. And, okay, if it doesn't make any sense at all, then I might either think, well, if it's a self-contained story and game, please make it accessible, you know, but otherwise I might go back and play the first one. But uh, I've never had a problem jumping out of sequence. I don't. Mm. So, And what I don't know, my imagination fills in. So, right. uh, you know, my, my message would be don't obsess too much about these things, you know. This is meant to be not only enjoyable, but also open up your horizons, your your imagination. And, and that's the crucial thing about any art form, that it fosters our imagination. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important thing in the world, really. And children do it naturally. So they, you, you, you know what kids are like when they lo love a book. They devour it, literally. Uh, or the same with a game, you know. They will mm -hmm. play it again and again. And it comes natural to them. They, they live in that world. They imagine things. But as adults, we often lose that ability. I've seen a lot of people around who are so stuck in the daily grind of life that there is no, there's no room left for flights of imagination. Mm -hmm. And I find that kind of sad. It also limits us as humanity trying to move forward, you know, trying to make mm -hmm. life on this planet as livable as possible and as good as possible for everyone. It, you cannot do that without imagination. There has been no in, an inventor has to have imagination to invent the telephone. You know, it didn't <laughs> exist. It, it, you know, somewhere right. there's got to be a spark of imagination uh, mm -hmm. you have to you have to nurture that and I, I was lucky that I grew up with lots of books and movies and then later TV and uh, storytelling was always big um, you know the way I grew up and my dad was a great storyteller uh, yeah and, and video games to me are just a natural extension of that mm -hmm. And they're such a wonderful right. medium because they incorporate almost everything. Yeah. Uh, to my to my mind, it's closest to opera because you've got the visual element, the auditory element. Uh, you know, you've got the story, you've got a, a stage or a world that needs to be produced. Uh, it, it's just a complete experience.
Mm-hmm. This uh, this kind of replayability angle is this is something that I'm coming to understand now, and I wish that I I thought differently about it 20 years ago because mm-hmm. I did exactly what you described. Where as a kid, I would reread uh, books that I liked. I liked uh, one called The Phantom Tollbooth. I don't know how many times I read this book, but I, I bet it was probably 20. And it never occurred to me on uh, reading 17 or 19 that it wasn't going to be a good time. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. the same thing over and over. I must have been processing it a little bit differently every time. Mm -hmm. Now Mm -hmm. I don't repeat anything. And I I realized this going through uh, Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime looking for things to watch. You know, I, I really don't watch a whole lot of things twice. A few movies Mm -hmm. I'll watch, uh, you know, over Mm -hmm. and over. Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, I thought, no, this is kind of crazy. Even though Mm -hmm. I've seen a thing, I should want, I should start watching things again uh, Mm -hmm. and see if I think differently about it. And so I Mm -hmm. I recently went through um, the the original Star Wars trilogy, Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about, I don't want to make it sound nerdy and analytical, but I really wanted to see how the character's kind of went up and down and developed through Mm -hmm. the three movies. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it so many times, but I watched it differently this time and I really enjoyed it in a different way. And this Mm -hmm. was a huge realization. This was literally like five days ago when I did Mm this. Yes, yes. And I thought, oh, I have been missing mm -hmm. out on giving myself the ability to be creative as I process something, to Mm -hmm. do something uh, uniquely. I've totally blown it. So I felt pretty stupid for going 20 adult years uh, without, you know, having this no repeats policy. But at least now I realize that, yeah, I can do this differently. And if I don't, uh, number one, that's okay if I still enjoy it. Uh, But also that's on me. You know, I'm totally capable of being creative as a a watcher of something, let alone playing a game. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that would be even better. But yeah, it's it's a a real thing to think about. I think uh, to, I mean... This probably now sounds a bit cheesy, but I think that's really something that you have to reach a certain age to get to that stage where I think so. this whole re-experiencing suddenly makes a whole lot of sense. You know, you you yeah. can't you can't do that when you're like eighteen and then twenty five. I don't think it works quite the same way. <laughs> uh, we absorb- the programming is just not there to do it. Yeah, it, it just. It doesn't, uh, it bounces right off. Like there's some kind of force field on the experience, you know, and now I'm at the point where it can begin to take root. So yeah, yes, I think you're right yeah. that it, you have uh, to kind of be you, a little you older. You go through stages. We, we tend to view ourselves as a sort of personality, like we're fixed, but in fact, we yeah. change a lot as we go through life and once you get to my advanced age, you look back and you think, gosh, who was that aged 17, you know, uh, or aged 33? Uh, you you do change a lot. And, of course, yeah. uh, with the experience you've had through life, good and bad and everything mixed in, your perception of of how you see a movie or a or a book or a game it will change considerably and and that's why it's really worth revisiting because a good work of art has limitless interpretation possibilities 
That's what marks them out. If you read something and read it again and say, well, it's still exactly the same thing, then it's pretty (laughs) flat. There isn't a lot of depth there, you know, but uh, good things will give you that extra level of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I suppose I uh, could talk about that a lot because I, I've gone through all those phases. And uh, Poodle Pa and I are having a bit of a, I, I call it a nostalgia trip, but uh, we're sort of going back and, and looking at some of our favourite uh, movies or TV series. And I remember suddenly, uh, I said, you remember when we lived in this tiny town in Britain and we were just doing up our first house and we had virtually no money and we went to the local market where they sold live poultry and stuff like that. And there was a guy who had a, a box with secondhand incredibly Catty Agatha Christie books, and they were really, really cheap. And we bought those. And then every week we went to the market and traded them in for a new set of books. So I I read most of the Agatha Christie books that way, and that's about 40 years ago. And I suddenly got this fancy. I said, okay, I'm going to reread them. And he said, what, all of them? I said, yeah, I'm going to give it a go. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. And you know what? I never thought this would be possible. We're actually discussing certain Agatha Christie novels, how she structured them, how the the characters, their profile changes subtly, you know, a variety of things yeah. and the books that are really, you know, really good. Um, I, I never thought we'd do that, but there we are, and we're finding lots of interesting stuff to talk about, which I'm sure I didn't see 40 years ago. Uh, so so that's an example, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, older, I, yes, older stuff on TV and movies that we enjoyed, uh, well worth revisiting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right on the Agatha Christie, I, I want to jump on this because this is probably the only opportunity I will ever have to to speak to Agatha Christie on this on this podcast. Um, one of the things I do rewatch periodically is uh, the uh, Poirot series. Uh, I, I absolutely love. Uh, I think it's David Sachet. Is that uh, he was the uh, kind of short, rotund uh, Hercule Poirot uh, character that was just amazing and. It's it's strange because you'd think, well, how can you watch a murder mystery when you know how it turns out? And I, I realized, like, I, I really like movies about things like World War II, and I know how that turned out. <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why can't it be the same? Oh, that was the, whole, that was the whole joke with when Titanic came out. It was like, well, we know how this ends. The ship sinks. They hit an iceberg. Like, what's the point of this movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, uh, and as time goes on, it, it does get different. So on Agatha Christie, John Malkovich uh, mm-hmm. is now Hercule Poirot. Uh, he did the ABC murders. And so oh. I think there are mm-hmm. at least three uh, movie versions of uh, that same book in addition to the original book itself. So that's a, a neat example to go through just the whole canon and see how it, it's all changed and how you change as a, a consumer of it. Yeah. Well, we often see that well-known books or even well-known movies are remade uh, like after 10 or 15 years 
introducing a whole new generation. And each time yeah. they put a very different spin on it and how they present it. Uh, we've been watching with fascination how, especially in the UK, um, Jane Austen adaptations are very, very popular. And they've been done, almost done to death, but uh, they keep doing them. And each time they are quite different. And it is quite clear that they're targeting uh, a newer audience who, in a new modern world, are just going to see things very differently. And that is a normal process. They say that uh, a good book, whether it's Tolstoy or Charles Dickens, uh, should be remade anew for every generation. Uh, among translators, and I used to work as a translator many years ago, um, it, that's a well-known point that each generation needs its own translation of a particular uh, classic work. Uh, so uh, I think the, the industry involved in, in publishing well recognises that and and that's why we uh, why we see certain stories being told and retold again and again and mm -hmm. we know those stories and we go back and we watch them again with fascination so mm -hmm. yeah it's it, i i can't remember who it was a famous writer once said there is no new story under the sun it's yeah. all basically about being born, that's your childhood, falling in love, that's your young adult years, and then the process of dying. And those are the three stages, and all stories will tell them to some degree. Maybe you focus in only on one stage or sometimes all of them and you get a whole life story. Uh, but that's it, basically, you know. Mm -hmm. um, the, everything else is, you know, extra fluff. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, and we all, we all know that that's life. You get born, you grow up, you do stuff, and then you die. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the argument that I know what already happens or I've seen this before, uh, no. As you get older, you, you realise that there are, infinite possibilities on what to do with a certain material yeah it's like it's like music uh it's like mm. the, there are only so many keys like there's mm. only like so many notes how can we keep coming up with all of these new songs and mm. yeah of course now and then oh this song sounds like this one to some degree and that mm. is na naturally crops up but for the most part the iterative ability of just like a few different chords to be able to become completely different songs mm -hmm. and um and, and so transformative it, it really mm -hmm. is absolutely amazing and and that's why human creativity is so important yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why someone like poodle pa has an enormous number of cds of various interpretations of uh, Mahler symphonies, you know, the same symphony over and over, yeah. interpreted mm -hmm. by a different orchestra, a different conductor, and they're mm -hmm. all very different. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I don't know if I'm going to get to all of the questions I have. So I'm trying to mm -hmm. um, choose which I really want to hit on this one. And then we'll hit when we inevitably, inevitably have you back on the show, because I feel like we have a lot more to talk about. But here's mm -hmm. something that cropped up along the way that mm -hmm. I want to discuss, because I do think that above above my personal like nerdy interests in talking about gaming with you, uh, this question and this discussion is probably like a little bit more important. Um, one, one comment that I get a lot and I see a lot when it comes to like Vsauce and, and, and different people in my like EDU sphere mm -hmm. is that we're jokingly sometimes referred to as science dads. Mm -hmm. So like, thanks science dad. <laughs> like that will come up, you know, on Twitter or in, yeah. you know, like a YouTube Matt's laughing because he's, he knows it's true. Like, like I yeah, am considered a science dad. <laughs> um, and that's, it, it's very funny and it's very silly and we can laugh about it, but on a serious note, it is a role that I am portraying and fulfilling online which mm -hmm. is being somebody in the sphere of science that like a younger generation can look up to. Mm -hmm. And I have received messages over the years of people who have gone into chemistry or biology or mm -hmm. robotics or mathematics because mm -hmm. they grew up watching my videos and they felt as though they were inspired by the sort of things I was talking about and whether or not they would have went into it anyway, which I, you know, mm. I have a sneaking suspicion that they would. I'm not giving mm. them a natural interest in these things, but it helped foster whatever was already there to, to mm. some degree and to an, a, an, a, enough of a degree that they recognize it and want to share with me like, hey, like, you know, I'm doing this now because I really liked your stuff. Mm. All right. So conversely for you, like gamer grandma, mm. I think is a really important role. And it's not one that is by any means like overrepresented or oversaturated. This is a niche, a niche role um, because of what you were speaking to earlier, where whether it's the taboo of being uh, interested in gaming or it's being unable to clear the hurdle of technology, which is a very real gap. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. every day yeah. I struggle yeah. with, and I've been on the computer every day for 25 years and I still struggle with being like locked out of my YouTube account because it's going to <laughs> like an old phone then I recently switched right. phones and now I can't get into my own YouTube account anymore. Um, so it's a long-winded way uh, um, of me to say that I, I really do think that what you're doing is important because it, mm -hmm. it's giving people, whether they are also fellow gamer grandmas or gamer grandpas, mm -hmm. or they're just people like me who, mm -hmm. let me tell you, um, for better or worse, like one of my earliest memories of my own mm. grandma was her yelling at me to get off the Nintendo because she wanted to watch Golden Girls. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's one of my earliest childhood memories of my grandma. I was playing Contra on uh, on the NES, uh, and um, you know she wanted the TV to watch Golden Girls, and we got into yeah. a big fight, and she mm. I got in trouble, and she called me Testy, you know. 
I'm still bitter about it. <laughs> I'm still bitter about it. You know, 35 years later. Um, but I just wonder what your thoughts are on that, um, because it is a very unique and new position that you find yourself in. Yes. Um, I have to say, I feel a bit uneasy about the term. I don't feel uneasy about the role. I'm happy to do that as far as I'm able. Uh, but when I was first confronted with it, um, it was in a not so pleasant fashion. Okay. I had I had a lot of people coming onto the channel who used the term grandma in a derogatory way, basically mm -hmm. like useless old woman, you know. Um, so my first impression was, no, I, I'm not a grandma. Uh, I'm actually technically not a grandma anyway because I don't have grandchildren. <laughs> so I sort of didn't connect with that term. However, I was aware that, for example, Shirley Curry goes on live every day to broadcast her gameplay of Skyrim and she always starts out with a good morning grandkids because all the people watching are her grandchildren. And she has happily and sagely taken on that role. And I admire her tremendously for it. And it, it suits her and she likes it. And, you know, she's fashioned that role, but she is the Skyrim grandma. And Everybody knows what that means. With me, it wasn't quite so clear. So I've made it clear on my channel with the per people who follow me regularly that I'm not overly fond of the term. I think for men, it probably feels a bit different because you, you don't have a sort of the same type of gender issues that uh, females like me have gone through for many mm -hmm. decades you know i mm -hmm. you have to remember i grew up in the 60s and 70s when women's lib was a big thing mm -hmm. uh, so i like to be seen just as one individual um you know a lot of other women of my age are not like me you know i'm just um, you know my husband would say i'm 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 just me. He, he said, you're just, you know, he can't even describe it. Um, it's unique, I guess, would be the only term. Uh, grandma puts me in a, uh, in a pigeonhole. Mm -hmm. And I'm not good at being pigeonholed, you know. It's sort of, uh, it doesn't <laughs> suit me. And uh, so I like not to have that side emphasised. And I just encourage people to just call me either Food for Dogs or my first name is Britta. They can use that too if they like. Uh, and, yeah, but on the other hand, I do work together with the three ladies uh, and we do tea parties as the grand dames. And that is usually advertised as uh, come and hang out with the gamer grandmas and, you know, uh, chat with us and, and we'll talk about stuff. Uh, and I'm comfortable with that because the people who turn up there 
they don't say, oh, she's just a grandma. You know, they mm-hmm. they love us for who we are and what we have to con- contribute. So uh, mm-hmm. there's a, there's always a, a level of perspective there, and I always look at where is someone coming from. I do have a very funny story about this grandma thing. Um, <laughs> once again, I, I think it's one of those that, you know, if you wrote it up as a story, people would say, well, that's a bit far-fetched. Um at, at one point, I last year, I suddenly had a lot of exposure because some people uh, decided to mention me or feature me on social media, and there was a lot of amplification. And it even reached Japan. And someone in Japan uh, who is obviously quite a bit of a comedian decided to put together like a little uh, comic strip story. They'd taken snapshots from a few of my videos of me sitting there with my game collections, and they put it together and they wove a little story around it that uh, there was a grandma, a Japanese grandma, who discovered uh, her grandson had been stashing away all these video games, memorabilia, merchandise under the bed somewhere. It was all untidy. She wanted to tidy up, and so she displayed them all nicely, and then she decided to take pictures of herself and little video clips presenting this collection and posing as someone who owned this collection, pretending to. And I had friends who are fluent in Japanese um, translated for me, and it was a very funny story. And when you read it, you, you would instantly get that this was a joke. It was a funny story. It was a joke. But you'd be surprised how many people did not get the joke. It literally was not a joke for me because it it sort of washed over into the Western uh, side of the universe as well, where people only worked with Google Translate and they absolutely did not get the joke. And I had hundreds of people flooding onto my channel, screaming at me, often in vile words, um, that I was a fake. I was fake. Mm. They had proof of it. And they went through enormous lengths to prove that I was definitely not playing those games. And they that collection be, belonged to either my, my my grandson. I now have a grandson. He's completely fictitious. <laughs> he, he He's the only fake in the story is my grandson. <laughs> And well, you don't have to buy the fake grandkids' yeah, birthday and Christmas gifts and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah. So if you're going to have them, <laughs> fake ones are the cheapest way to go. It, it, it took a lot of work just getting through all that and, and weeding out those people. But they were absolutely con- – nothing could convince them otherwise because they'd made up their mind. And any evidence to the contrary did not matter. So uh, there's no point arguing with people like that. Uh, just like I found there's no point arguing with people who objected to my channel name. They they thought mm. it was insulting to them personally. I had someone write a very, very long article, I might almost call it, except people like writing articles and then posting them in comments, you know, uh, how 
my name reflected that the viewers were the dogs and they they were being thrown the food <laughs> which was oh the video my games God. And, but th this was a whole page step by step <laughs> proving this and how i should be ashamed of myself oh. and I have never in my life come across a person quite so literal-minded as that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, you, oh, you, you want to see life in all its glory, start a YouTube channel and watch what happens <laughs> is all I can say. Yeah, yes. Right. You, you, you will see everything and you will meet some of the most wonderful people and you will also see some pretty extraordinary stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, I can relate. I've seen a lot of that stuff <laughs> for sure over the years. Uh, Matt and I have talked about it on this podcast, some of the interactions mm -hmm. we've had with people. And it's just, it's a, it, yeah, he's just yeah. laughing, thinking of the story. It's, uh, it's a numbers game though. It, the, mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, is if you have 76,000 subscribers you know, what percentage of them, even if it's 0.001, are going to be complete <laughs> lunatics? They're there. Yeah. They're definitely um, there. That, they're know, definitely that specific there. percentage, 0.001. Oh, that's not a lot, no. but that's one out of a thousand. So if you have 76,000 people subscribe to you, roughly 76 of them are going to be completely bonkers and you're going to have to deal with it <laughs> yeah. one way or Which another. is way more than any, nobody could deal with one, let alone 76. <laughs> It's yeah, yeah, that's just the I, nature of doing this. I, ha stuff I had to deal with hundreds and hundreds of them at one point, and yeah, oh. um, uh, in, in the end, uh, I got to the stage where I nearly closed down the channel because it was just becoming mm. impossible for me to deal with it. But anyway, there is always there is always a solution. You know, you just got to think outside the box and try something different and. Mm. Uh, and good friends encouraged me and supported me, and and I just kept going. And like you do with any of these tough periods in your life, you you sometimes have to wade through muck to get to the other side of the shore. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and you know it's it's working just fine now. So yeah, yeah, good, good. Well, we're we're glad that you have done that, and uh, mm -hmm. you know we will officially, hopefully, be um, you know. Um, a sounding board for you to reach out at any time. We will uh, break anybody's legs whose legs need broken <laughs> on your behalf. Uh, let it be known. I officially <laughs> putting that on this recording. Did you just promise violence, Kevin? I did. I did. I will perform violence for Britta. Um, we have to get to our um, our patrons' questions, but I'm going yep, to. Yeah, we got a few good ones um, here. I'm going to circumvent our patrons because I have to get to my wife's question or else <laughs> I'm sleeping on the couch ahead, tonight yeah. if I don't get to this. <laughs> um, she needs uh, to know what your favorite Atelier game is. Uh, hers is Shally. She also wanted oh, okay. me to mention that. Yeah, Shally, uh, Shally, is, Shally is a good choice. Yeah, Shally is great. Um, look, I have to preface this by saying that I'm not someone who 
picks favorites as a rule. Uh, and mm -hmm. I make a big thing about that on my channel because, uh, well, there's so many reasons I, uh, I would have to talk for half an hour about that. So maybe another time. Uh, okay. But I do have a special personal connection with one Atelier game, and that is Atelier Aisha. And it was... I think it was the first Atelier game I ever played very early in my gaming life, so when everything was still really new and fresh. And as I mentioned before, at a period in our life when we went through a lot of, you know, uh, very sad, depressing stuff. And mm -hmm. that game just touched me to the core. It just resonated with me because Aisha is this, like in all Atelier games, she is a young woman setting out on her journey to become a proper alchemist, uh, but she has lost her younger sister and she is looking for her. And that journey becomes the important, we were talking about the hero's journey before, and in this game, that is the um, important journey she has to make. and. It it really, really resonated with me, and uh, I sort of felt like I'd, I'd sort of gone through the trauma again, and I'd sort of come out the other side. And I realized when I played that game that video games can be incredibly cathartic. And that was a breakthrough for me, I'd have to say. And that is why Aisha will always be in my heart. Perfect. And that, that, that's, that is really, for me, the strongest reason to have a favorite, because it means something to me personally, very deeply. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So that, that, that is my answer. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, I totally agree with that, too. And um, there's another YouTuber who goes by Happy Console Gamer, um, yes. or, or yes. Johnny Millennium. And yeah. If anyone's ever, we've had him on the podcast. Uh, I've known him for ugh, like 20 years now. He's great. And yeah. um, he always goes back to that too. He always goes back yes. to that. That sentimental connection is so important. It's so vital because there are so many great games, but there's always a series of games that are above the great games that are not only great, but they also just came to you in a moment in your life where, like you said, it resonates in a way that you just, have that connection with it and you know it it yes. really is special it really is special um matt do I we do, have mm -hmm. uh, oh i'm sorry go ahead i do have just a little story about the happy console gamer because uh oh, really? day, yes <laughs> um uh, one day um he and another youtuber called super derek uh turned up on my channel and he left a comment and he said oh hi britta uh, they liked my channel. He said, this is amazing. I, I still remember that comment. I didn't write it down, but I always remember it. He said, I am subscriber number 150. And, wow. and I, I thought he that was- He was in on the ground floor. I thought that was so sweet, honestly. And you, you honestly, you can't think of a better person, in my opinion, than- John, the happy console gamer, yeah, uh, truly supportive, appreciative, and just incredibly tolerant and open-minded, yeah. 
Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I always remember that. This is sort of a little anecdote for me and my channel, you know, that I treasure. I really treasure it. Mm. Well, here's something that you don't know about that story is that he shamed me over this because <laughs> I thought that I discovered you. Oh. And I, <laughs> I was telling him about your channel and he shamed me so hard with the subscriber number 150 thing. I, I was like, oh. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know whether he'd remember that. That is too. That is that is priceless. That is too funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he got me. He, he got know, me by a, by a mile on that one. It's a small world on YouTube. I find. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we don't want to take too much uh, of your time, but we have questions that we got it. We got to get through um, yep. from our patrons. Yep. Yes. Yep, we do. And I'm going to steal 30 seconds at the beginning because your origin story uh, is uh, it's one of my favorite moments ever, ever on this podcast. And this is like episode 83 or something. Mm-hmm. It hit home hard. Mm-hmm. It just it, you you really went went deep on that. And mm-hmm. it, uh, something that, that I haven't talked about on this podcast is four years ago in in March. So March 2017, I, I was I was doing the dead cat bounce, you know, where you're not at the absolute rock bottom because you've mm-hmm. just bounced off rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a relationship and I decided on a career change. It's, it's at the point like when when your cat looks at you and feels dis- like seems disappointed, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like that's when you're really in a bad spot. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is the worst. You know, I'm in my mid 30s and I have to reinvent literally every meaningful part of my life right now. Mm-hmm. This is terrible. And I got this idea from uh, Kevin and I were talking and I was like, oh, we, these, these conversations really, other people should be watching them because we have them anyway. Kevin, what do you think about starting a podcast? Mm -hmm. And uh, at that terrible, just abysmal uh, moment where I remember somebody thinking, you know, or saying, don't worry, every time uh, a door shuts, God opens a window. And I remember thinking, yeah, to jump out of, this sucks. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it was insane. It was that bad. But we got into a thing and now uh, we have an incredible community. We have Mm -hmm. a ball doing Mm -hmm. this podcast every week. Mm -hmm. Uh, That never would have happened had, you know, we not been kind of mucking about in kind of the rough the rough patch uh, for a while. So all the creatives who listen to this, you can't get too down, even when things are horrible, because a lot of good stuff can come out of there. And if, if Britta's story doesn't prove that, none do. Um, Yep, so that's that's the minute I'm stealing. Uh, we got to hit these questions because there are a lot of them. First mm-hmm. one from Jelksies. Uh, this is a great one for anybody who makes content. How much online content do you yourself watch and consume because you spend so much time making it? That's actually a good question. Um, I used to watch huge amounts before I, you know, had my own channel. Uh, I've I've still got like when I look at my YouTube a subscription list, I must be well over five hundred channels in there. Um, I still try and keep up with important stuff, but it is becoming difficult. And every day I have to balance, you know, do I spend time on editing this video a bit more, or do I sneak over and watch another video? by the happy console gamer or someone else. Um, It's a hard one, but I think it is important to stay connected with the core community that nurtured you 
when, you know, when you were just around, like in my case, learning stuff. Um, I remember I used to watch a, a channel which is now more or less closed down, and he posted incredibly insightful reviews about JRPGs, and I literally learned step by step how to play a JRPG that way. I later came across him years later, recently, on Twitter, and uh, we've become really great friends. So uh, so I think that whole arc is important and that YouTubers know that we are we are not only just watching passively, but that it means something to us and that we might also be learning something from it. Uh, so I, I think that's really important. And I notice that when I do occasionally talk to uh, one of these other YouTubers, um, how important it is to just, you know, issues that might be nagging away at your brain and suddenly you find talking about the other person says, yeah, yeah, I've had exactly the same thing. You could try this, you could try that. You know, it, it, as I said before, it's a surprisingly small world on YouTube. And if you, as we inevitably do, we specialize in certain areas and I am mainly but not exclusively into um, RPGs and smaller Japanese games and visual novels, you find it's a, you know, it's a world where you get to know people pretty quickly. So I do, I have a sort of my, my special spot is over a breakfast time when my husband brings me my first precious pot of tea. I, I, look, <laughs> through, I look through my, I'm, I'm allowed to stay in bed and have my first cuppa there and I that's my treat I <laughs> I look through my um YouTube um news and subscriptions and just see what's popped up and uh, have a look at two or three uh, videos uh, and some of them are purely news and information based stuff I feel I need to know uh, and I want to know and uh, others are purely for my own gaming pleasure so yeah I make a point of uh, of doing that. I don't have enough time for it. I'd like to do more. Uh, like, uh, I can't spend the time watching people who stream complete playthroughs. You know, one of my favorite uh, streamers has done a complete playthrough of Dragon's Dogma, and I so dearly uh, hope to be able to catch up with that one day. Uh, but I cannot fit in 160 episodes right now. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's a constant balancing act is all I can say. But I, I'm absolutely certain that uh, any YouTuber who doesn't watch others and uh, doesn't absorb what other people do is somehow missing a whole dimension. Does that answer yeah. the question and you think? I hope so. I think it does. Yeah. And and we've talked on other episodes about how difficult that is. You know, people mm. ask us all the time, oh, have you seen this science video? Do you watch, you know, what? A, there are only so many hours in the day mm. uh, when you're spending all day making this stuff. And it's very hard to keep track, but you've got to do, you mm. got to do some of it. You got to keep your fingers on the pulse yes. and stay interested mm. as a creator. You got to do it yourself, mm. you know? Um uh, James has a question uh, that I think we we've answered here. It was tea or coffee, but if it's tea, uh, what is your preferred kind of tea? 
Uh, it is. I can't drink coffee, unfortunately. So uh, it is tea. Um, I have a. I have a full, whole cupboard full of uh, teas, and I have a special tea supplier. Um, I love Darjeeling. I do. And oh. very fine Darjeeling in particular, yes. Um, so I also drink green tea, occasionally white tea, and my morning Kickstarter, which is the closest I come to coffee, is a Chinese fermented tea, which is very, very dark and looks like coffee, and that's called Pu'e, and I drink that to get me started in the morning. But Darjeeling would uh, uh, Darjeeling yeah. would be the love of my life in terms of tea. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I just signed up a month ago to a, a tea subscription service. You know, so you mm. get samplers. So I'm slowly mm. slowly getting the range of teas mm. uh, and and exploring all these different <laughs> flavors. Mm. Some some are great, some are less great, but uh, you get to what you like. Mm. Um, this is from uh, Sheep, also known as Guy Man Boy Mail. Um, this is a great question. Uh, so Sheep wants to know, <laughs> uh, have you found any deterrence or limitations with games, uh, hitting them at such a later stage in life, like mm -hmm. developing skills for certain game mechanics? And oh, this hits yeah. me because, uh, for many years of bowling, mm -hmm. I have a very arthritic right hand mm -hmm. and I can't play the quick motion mm -hmm. games. Like I used to play <laughs> arena and world of Warcraft. I loved it. But mm. I can't I can't use a mouse that way anymore. So now mm. I do a lot of turn based stuff. Mm. Um, is yeah. there anything that that, you know, you feel like uh, you've missed out on for any reason like that? Uh, yes, but it's not only in gaming, because the moment you've got a mobility issue with any limb, any part of you, it usually means there's a whole variety of things you can't do. Uh, but it, it hits you particularly hard in gaming where you're limited to a controller. And uh, I have got a, a, a condition. It's a, it's a disease called Dupuytren's contracture. It's actually a very Com extremely common disease, especially in the older generation. And I have documented that on my channel. There's a video explaining what it is and how it works. Uh, so my subscribers understand where I'm coming from and that I can't do, for example, demanding platformers or okay. games that have really, really awkward and fast QTEs. Um, and one game I resort, I remember I resorted to putting the controller on the carpet and hitting it with the with the heel of my hand because I couldn't do it any other way. Um, so sure. accessibility for me is a huge topic. And the moment you start talking about it, you find it is a big topic for a surprisingly large number of people in the gaming community. And fortunately, mm -hmm. developers are now paying a lot more attention to it. So that's yeah. good. But we need mm -hmm. more done in that area because gamers, you know, the industry has to wake up. Gamers, the original sure. gamers, are aging. Hello. Yes. And everybody <laughs> yeah, yeah. at some stage gets 
you know, the fingers are not quite as nimble as they used to be. And then you get arthritis, a lot of people with carpal tunnel, yep. uh, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know. Uh, yeah. it's, <laughs> Between it, Kevin yeah. and I, I think we can put like one and a half healthy hands together. Yeah, <laughs> I have the carpal tunnel problem and I can't, <laughs> I can't do fast twitch. It's so hard for me to yeah. do fast twitch stuff uh, yeah. like, uh, like button mashy kind of games. Like I recently loved yakuza like a dragon mm. because it turned into a turn-based game yeah the all the other yakuza games are <laughs> like beat them up button mm. mashy things and mm. it hurts it literally it hurts, hurts my hands and yeah. it goes all the way up the back of my arm like i can't play the those yakuza games because i'm in pain so yeah. i really hope uh <laughs> this is a bit of a tangent but i really hope that the yakuza series keeps making turn-based battles for my sake selfishly uh i can't i, I, I can't hope, do I the, hope so too and, and the, the the reason is not just for selfish reasons because i love turn-based as well um because i think they did it extremely well and it has actually resonated with audiences and i think it would be a, a fantastic line even if they split and make different types of yakuza games but keep one as a turn-based one because i think it just works so wonderfully well and so many people love it you know keep yeah. it simple keep it you know it works it's, it's great it's keep the it. only one i finish the other ones i start mm. and i get yeah. frustrated but yeah like yeah. a dragon yeah. i think i put i don't know 60 hours into and loved mm. every minute of it it mm. was so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's so, so yes, and especially at my age, you know, you it, it's inevitable. There's um, there's a lot of uh, mobility issue. My mm -hmm. brain is still working reasonably well, fortunately. So uh, that's of course also a consideration. <laughs> I'm I'm okay. I'm ha half joking here, um, but yeah, it's um, I have had um, people come to my channel saying they. Uh, decided they maybe were gamers when they were younger. They decided to take it up again because they realized they're getting older and they want to keep their brain moving. And I think most professionals who work in, in the health sector would agree that that is, that is one of the most important things for an aging population is to keep the brain active. And for me, I can't think of anything better than a game where I have to consider strategy, character development, how to get from A to B, how to solve a puzzle, all thrown together into the mix. My brain mm -hmm. is working on overtime. Uh, I think this is great. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, I okay, I got a bit away there from the physical uh, one, but uh, yes, it is a big That's issue. That's okay. Yeah, and it, it's like you're it's like you're reading these questions because it goes directly into a couple quick hits on on some some gaming aspects. Mm. Um, so, Doctor Uwu, PhD, uh, asked about your favorite genre of games. Now, you talked about the RPGs, mm. uh, and uh, how how did you land on those? I honestly don't know. I think the first RPG, I, I tried to think back. Um, uh, you see, I never thought that my gaming history would be something that other people would be talking about in the future. So <laughs> I, I I never spent any thought on, on recording what I was doing. Uh, so I have to work from memory and, and, and a list of games I have. Um, 
I think the very first RPG I ever encountered was a Western one that was Dragon Age, so a Bioware uh-huh. game. Um, mm-hmm. But I quickly got into JRPGs because, well, at the time, the PS3 was a powerhouse for all sorts of RPGs and all types of games. That's why I loved the PlayStation, because there's a whole range of genre really well represented. But RPGs were particularly strong, I think, on the PS3, and there were a lot of JRPGs. And I happened to fall in with um, some people because I needed help, obviously, when I started out. You know, I had so many questions. And I went on to, we had a forum at the time here in New Zealand just for gamers, and because we're a small country, there were only basically basically like two forums. And I went on to one and said, hi, can you guys help me? And they were all young and male. And to their credit, I don't think I ever had an unkind word there. Uh, And uh, some people uh, jumped in and uh, one person in particular, a very old um, gamer friend of mine now, he was deeply into JRPGs, and he said, Britta, why don't you try those, something like Final Fantasy, or he got me onto the, he said the Atelier games would be perfect for you, and he was right. And I think that's probably how I got into JRPGs. Um, but basically, you have to imagine it. I discovered when I had this PlayStation 3 that there was a PlayStation network with a store attached it had a big yeah. sign saying candy store for old ladies there. And, <laughs> and I just went and I just looked through everything and, and read up about all these games and then picked out, I thought, I'm going to try everything. And I tried everything, you know, from your basic platformer to, to JRPGs. I, I, I tried almost everything. And I think that's important. I see a lot of people blocking themselves into playing only one genre and and never stepping outside, you know. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what that's like. I love JRPGs, but sometimes I feel like playing something different, you know. Uh, uh, Playing games Mm -hmm. is a very, I find it's very much connected with mood, and sometimes I just don't feel like stepping into a huge JRPG like Yakuza Like a Dragon, you know. I want to play something different and, and small and you know, where I have to jump about and solve puzzles or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, I I always, when someone says, oh, you've never played this, you probably don't play this type of game. I always say, well, I don't know until I've tried it, you know. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I'm not good at is um, first person games, something mm-hmm. about the, the camera angle. And I've talked to many other people about it and uh, there's quite a few people who have problems with that. Uh, most most first-person games, I get uh, a bit dizzy and disorientated. And mm-hmm. I, if it's really bad, I can get even a bit queasy. So I don't feel comfortable. Uh, so that excludes a lot of shooters, first-person shooters, which were, of course, mm-hmm. a very dominant popular genre 
uh, at the time I started. Um, so that's the only genre I can say I don't play for those reasons. And also, I think I'm just not into shooting, you know, especially photorealistic yeah. shooting. I don't mm -hmm. see any reason mm -hmm. why I would want to shoot anybody in the head. No, I prefer <laughs> I prefer uh, anime style violence, you know, where even the blood yeah. and gore is just, um, you know, fantasy blood and right. and you know uh, you know yeah. when i played pokemon for the first time i thought it was the most extraordinary and endearing thing that when you defeat an enemy they keel over and they faint and i thought that was just <laughs> great so yeah uh, so i i like stylized uh, and i i do have a penchant for dark and often violent games i do um but I prefer it to be more stylized rather than really realistic. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. that, okay. That's uh, that. Mm. Yeah. That's, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, I'm looking for the, the next follow up here. Dan, the latch uh, actually, yeah, this is important because uh, he asked about uh, your opinion on the animosity for JRPGs that mm. exists mm. among some Western gamers. Yeah. Uh, where do you think that comes from? I would have to speculate, I suppose, but in the end, it's got to be a cultural issue. I can't see anything else. Um, I'm someone who uh, grew up in post-war Germany where, you know, we were encouraged to be tolerant and understanding towards other cultures. In, in Europe, there's a lot of interchange between the different countries and the people. So, uh, you know, that kind of thinking was, was never encouraged, the, the one that excludes other people. Uh, I've moved, um, you know, I've moved about, I've lived in Germany, I've lived in Great Britain, uh, we moved to New Zealand. So I've got a bit of background with slightly living in slightly different cultures and I've traveled quite widely as well um, I don't I I have this theory that um, any kind of rejection of another culture and what they do is really based probably deep down on some kind of fear that somehow this is going to take away from your own, how you see yourself and your own culture, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. In Germany after the war, nobody, nobody would have thought to stand up and say, we are the best culture in the world. Nobody can come close to us and everybody else is inferior. I think you see where that's going. That was sure. obviously... <laughs> A complete no, no. <laughs> you, you know, just you know, it, it, that way of thinking was we. I, I, I'm very grateful for the upbringing I had. It was very, uh, very liberal, very challenging, and it constantly asked us to think critically and to always question our own stance. So. It's become second nature for me, but I realize that doesn't happen everywhere. And, and some people are stuck in this rut where they think they can only be somebody or feel some kind of self-esteem if they sort of say, where I live and what I do, that's the only valid thing in the world and everything else. I don't understand it, therefore I don't like it. It's got to be rubbish. You know, that's sort of mm -hmm. the train I thought 
train of thought that I see happening. Um, mm-hmm. I can't really say any more than that about it. You know, it's kind of sad, I find. Yeah. You know, yeah. and yeah, it does seem like they're missing out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure when they were children, they watched cartoons on TV. I loved, I mean, yep. we didn't have many when I was a kid, but oh, when we did have them, I mean, kids are just drawn to cartoons, aren't they? And to comic books and that sort of stuff. I was. And it's for me an easy transfer to go into Japanese animation. And, you mm-hmm. know, we discovered, uh, obviously, the movies of Hayao Miyazaki, Ghibli Studio, and, you know, if you can't admire and love those kinds of artworks, then I, I'm a bit speechless, really. And yeah. so it's a different aesthetic, and you can either connect with it or not. But if it's not, I get people on my channel who say, it's just not my thing. It doesn't resonate with me. Fine, I don't have a problem with that, but I would have a problem if they started um, somehow demeaning these these games or anime or whatever and saying they're trash, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. That's just, like I said before, I I would never tolerate the word hate, uh, nor would I tolerate the word trash in relation to any work of art. Yeah. A lot of people do need to learn that you not being into it doesn't make it bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, it, it, it's, there are a lot of uh, people I'm not into, but you know what? They make their husbands and wives happy, and, and that's yeah. kind of what matters. Yeah. 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 So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's really very simple, isn't it? But, you know, growing yeah. growing up is difficult. And once you've got to the next stage, you look back and you think, oh, it's all pretty obvious now. Uh, but it isn't when you're younger, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. there is the pressure around you. You know, I've seen it so often and, and people don't think of that, but the home influence is so important. And... Mm-hmm. People don't realize how, when they're still young, they how much they are formed and influenced by what their parents at home think and pass on to them. You know, modeling, it's called modeling for a reason. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, possibly extended to school, but basically at home, mm-hmm. that's what I come across a lot. People saying there was a intolerant environment at home towards these things saying ah look, this jap chap you know he's he's rubbish i wouldn't deal with him and when you hear that as a seven eight year old that's gonna stick you know so mm, right right it becomes an attitude that, yeah, that they can apply to, yeah, to other things, I, yeah. I, parents as models are really the the foundation yeah mm-hmm. a couple quick hits and then we release you into the wild. Uh, you said that you didn't want to rank things and had a hard time, mm-hmm. you know, really, yeah. really ranking games. Yeah. But but Jeff asked if you had uh, uh, two or three other favorite RPGs. It's usually the one I'm playing at the moment, I have to say. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> you know, uh, because I always feel I'm discovering something new. Um, favorite um, RPGs. Um I'm replaying at the moment Persona 4 Golden. I'm playing it both on my Vita and on the PC. And 
yeah, that would be up there as I'm sure it will be for a long, long time to come one of my favourite games. That's an easy one. Um, I have a huge fondness and respect for the whole Fire Emblem franchise, and mm. I've played a few of the games, and I can intend to continue doing so because I love tactics RPGs. I really, really do. It's my, if they, uh, I would classify it as a subgenre then, and that's my favorite subgenre. So I liked following your tweets uh, when you were playing Fire Emblem and you were tweeting about the, the, because cause a big part of, if anybody doesn't know, like the relationships are part yes, of yeah. Fire Emblem. So yeah, um, yeah, it was fun yeah. following your journey with that, with yes. like seeing who was going to get married. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it made for wonderful um, uh, connections on Twitter with all the people because that game uh, was awakening. Uh, is quite old by now. And so many people had played it. And obviously, uh, it's wonderful to see that people had such fond memories of the game, but also remembered so much about it, you know, that that tells you it's a good game. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, that was a really, really fun journey to take that one. And the other one I have to mention is a visual novel. Uh, some there are some people out there who insist that visual novels are not games, but I'm not even going there. It's that's just <laughs> you know uh, beyond the pale. Um, I have to mention Steins Gate. I think it's absolutely extraordinary. It is a work of art, and I have played it now. No, I've played it just once. I. I just decided to get another edition so I can replay it on the PS4. And I've watched the anime with my together with my husband. So uh, Steinsgate, uh, people always ask me, they say, especially about visual novels, because the visual novel community is sort of quite, quite close. And they always say, is there, is there anything, because they know how much I love Steinsgate. Um, they say any other one comes close, and I always say, not yet, not yet. I'm playing, and I'm hoping one day to discover another one that, you know, will touch me the same way. Uh, but so far, Steins Gate is just one step above everything else for me. It's I find it is that good, yeah. But not everybody agrees with me, and some people say, well, it didn't really mean that much to them. So, okay, yeah. But to me, it does mean a lot. So that's why it's, I always mention it as a game that is really important to me. Mm. Mm -hmm. I hope that I, I hope whole that answer, answer that on that was good. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, Dan asked about VR and if you've gotten into any VR games or if you plan to experiment with VR. No, it's it's not. Is no. it uh, just not on your radar in terms of interest or, or um, what? It's not on my radar for a whole range of reasons. I'm not, I'm not hypersensitive to motion uh, sickness, uh, but I think I probably would get it a bit with VR. Um, mm. What I've read about the technology so far uh, and how you have to use it, uh, I'm I'm not sure I'd be really that comfortable with the whole gear. Mm. I 
I think it still has a long way to go before it would be really of interest to me. Uh, I can see the potential sort of, but, you know, I'm really, really happy with the kind of games I have. And it, I just haven't felt a compulsion. And I'm uh, believe me, I like to try everything new, basically. If you put something in front of me and say, well, what about this? You might not have thought of this. I'm very likely to give it a go. But VR just didn't spark a real interest. Mm -hmm. And there isn't any particular game I have heard of in VR where I would say, this is such a must play that I have to get the gear and get through all the technical issues to do it. Yeah. Um, and not surprising yeah, if you think about my, you know, they're, they're quite traditional games that you know, we go for RPGs, JRPGs, tactics games. Uh, VR games seem to focus more on, obviously, on other things. Um, yeah. I, forgot yeah, I don't blame you on that. I have it. It, it is yeah. clunky. It can be annoying. I, I don't really use it. It yeah. does need to uh, advance more yeah. for it to be uh, I less also, kind of annoying to use. <laughs> uh, I also have to mention that as a Vita Islander, I feel just the slightest bit salty. I'm not often salty. I try not to be, but I am in this case because Sony decided to abandon the Vita because they were putting all their eggs into the VR basket. Mm, and I'm right. I'm fo I'm following the trajectory, and one day I'm sure I'll make a video about it. Uh, but I'm not overly impressed so far. And for my money, they made the wrong decision to go mm. completely either or. They might right. be realizing that now with the success of the Switch. I don't know. Something else I wanted to mention when that question came up about, um, you know, m mobility issues and what games can you play and can't you play. The Vita for me, as a person with a you know physical handicap, the, I don't know whether you can see it, but that left hand is pretty munted. Um, the Vita for me was a breakthrough because it is the most ergonomic handheld I have experienced. It is yeah. more more comfortable for me than holding a controller, and that's saying mm -hmm. something. So, yeah. um, you know, there's, uh, the Vita scores on that front as well as on so many other fronts. So, yeah. yes, so I'm I'm eyeing the VR a bit, and I'm saying, yeah, you got to prove yourself, and you know, and, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's so. That's. Well, we've got a lightning round. We got a lightning round here, and then you're good. Uh, Chinchilla asked, "How are the puppy doggos doing?" And I hope that's something we can talk about if you come back, because the whole food for dogs, dog food origin story is something we we didn't get into. But uh, Chinchilla is asking about the dogs. Uh, the dogs, I'm sad to say, uh, passed away some time ago, uh, and okay. and so I'm sort of. I'm living with the memory, which is what you do increasingly as you get older. I'm afraid I have to warn you about that. Um, and uh, for various reasons, we uh, we haven't got any other dogs uh, since then. Uh, so our two poodles uh, have gone to the Rainbow Bridge. And yes, but they're with us every day. 
in our thoughts mm-hmm. and our memory. Yeah, and for well, they certainly live on in the channel, don't yeah, they? Yeah, well, that, that, <laughs> that's, that, it's an amazing yeah. tribute. That's the weird. You know, I feel like this weird stuff has happened all my life. Maybe I'm prone to this. I don't know, but uh, I only hung on to that name because I was too blooming uh, lazy. To, to set up another Twitter account. So I just used food for dogs, ne- never thinking about them. I thought, well, nobody's going to see that, you know. Well, the famous last words. Um, yeah, so right. it, it, funny things do happen. And sometimes maybe we should let them happen more often and just watch what happens. You know, we we may be surprised. I do love surprises, you know, and when they come, mm-hmm. I just look at them and say, okay, we'll take that one on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that answer. Uh, Maruko asks, uh, if what's, what's one little thing that makes you smile and that you're thankful for? <laughs> there, are, there are so, so many, many right yeah, down to yeah, the, the team. <laughs> like, <laughs> look, yeah. You're going to get tired of this phrase, but at my age, I wake up in the morning and I can still get out of bed and I think, gosh, golly, it's another day and I'm moving about and I'm going to do stuff. And that in itself is a minor miracle. You know, you become grateful for every day you have. And for me, what what makes me smile is just seeing Poodle Pass face. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> He's been my, oh, you know, great. we've been together for over 40 years. And yeah, that's just, that lights up my day and my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That's good. And the last bit is uh, is from Andrew. This is a very general one. You've got one piece of advice uh, compiling all the experience uh, that you've had from uh, gaming to everything that came before that. What's one piece of advice that you would give to the people listening? That's a really tough one, you know. Um, well, when you said the be grateful every time you yeah, get up in the morning yeah, kind of thing, I yeah. thought, well, boy, that's people, pretty close. People always that's say good. be positive. And, and yes, I mean, that's all important. But I would say just never give up, you know. Just, you know, love, life sometimes is stinking hard and – Sometimes it's a struggle to put one foot in front of the other, whether it's physically or mentally or both. And just never close your mind to what might be just around the corner or just out of the corner of your eye. You know, there's going to be something there. I truly believe that, you know. And, yeah, just when it comes, just, welcome it with open arms and 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 go for it and and your life will get better that's you know it's it goes in cycles up and down up and down and every time it's a bit different uh, the you know pain never gets better i'm sorry when when people say oh you know you'll get over it it all gets better you know and yeah, i'm afraid it doesn't no um you know disappointment <laughs> and pain and all these things they they are just as incisive as they are when you're young um mm-hmm. it's how you get up again and keep moving and do the next thing and just don't give up. 
Well, I think that's um, as powerful a place to stop as humanly possible. So we, <laughs> I think we're going to yep. wrap up oh, at this good. point. Look, if, if you're not a fan of food for dogs at this point, um, maybe you should stop getting out of bed in the morning because uh, <laughs> this was absolutely a joy. I'm so glad that we were ma- able to make it happen. I'm so glad that you agreed to come on the podcast because um, this really was phenomenal. And I hope that everybody listening yes. enjoyed um, you know, the various stories because part of the reason that Matt and I started this podcast was to be able to to unlock stories like yours and 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 be able to share them with with people who wouldn't have access to them otherwise so thank you so much for spending some time with us um so check check out her channel check out her twitter check out the grand dames yes um we're gonna have to get more grand dames on this podcast absolutely without a doubt yes. I really, um yeah Yep, I really recommend it. Uh, I only met them, you know, last year, but um, they are they are great ladies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, have a lot of between us. We have a lot of um, wisdom and experience to impart, I suppose. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. and that and that's what people are responding to. I find, especially in these days of pandemic and you know general anxiety and curbed living circumstances people are looking for uh, support in that bit of a i suppose grandma feel you know a lot of people have lost their grandparents and yeah we're yeah. We're, yeah. Ha- we're happy to try and fill in as best we can well we're, we're grateful for it and i do think that that type of wisdom is sorely lacking these days, especially on the internet, online, yeah. on social media, there is a dearth of actual, genuine, actionable wisdom. Yeah. So uh, that's it. That's it for me. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks to all of our patrons for hanging out with us. Um, check out the Grand Dames Patreon. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash the create unknown. We are here every Wednesday. We'll be back next Wednesday. Uh, You can always hang out with us in the chat, join our discord. It is free, but otherwise go check out food for dogs. Britta, thanks so much for, for hanging out with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you guys. No, it really was my pleasure. Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll see you space cowboys. Thanks for listening to the create unknown. We'd like to extend a huge thank you and congratulations to the Tots and Dumpster crew who save tiny little lives every month. A tremendous shout-out to our elite baby gang. Trevstad, Boromir, Botdogs, Chinchilla, Isaac, Conrad, James, Jeff Davis, Patrick Pister, Baseweight, and Dojangles. And thank you to our grizzled, battle-hardened child infantry. Jen Mefasanti, Kevin Menard, Mikhail Steinke, Risebread, Sean Malone, Triple Question Mark, Monaghan, Ryan Kinder, Sheep, and Maruko. Thank you as well to our producer and editor, Ben Webster, and to our media manager, Dan Yosua. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production. 